God's presence, God's people, God's purpose, God's plan. These have always been the essential ingredients of the church. We find a recording of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection in the Gospel of Luke. That letter was the first of a two-part work, the second being the Book of Acts. In this letter, Luke recalls Jesus' ascension and commission, the spread of the Gospels, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the early church. In the past, God's presence was with His people in one place at one time. But after God outpoured His promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the power to do incredible things filled those who would receive it and overflowed to those around them. With this new Holy Spirit power, the church began to explode, stirring among thousands as the message grew and spread, unhindered. The mission of the church has been made clear by Jesus Himself. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now, more than 2,000 years later, God's presence is still being unleashed among God's people. And we are part of God's continued purpose and God's continued plan as the Holy Spirit moves in and through us. Well, good morning, and as Ron said, my name is Scott. If we've not had the privilege of meeting, I'm one of the pastors here at Cornwall Church, and it's always an honor to get to share a few thoughts with you on a weekend. Um, One thing you need to know about me is I love a good stroll down memory lane. I am a sentimental man, and I am not ashamed about that at all. Um, And so I want to start this morning by sharing a picture with you that recently came. My friends at Apple created this thing called like the For You, right? So it's For You pictures and all of a sudden a picture will pop up and it's a picture from the past that brings it to the present. And as you see that picture, it brings about this this sense of, uh, it evokes emotion, it evokes joy, it evokes awe. Has anybody else been there wherever you're at, whether you are in Belize, in Skagit, here in Bellingham or watching online, attending online, have you been there? Yes, raise it up. I know, some of you raised it up, but then you didn't leave it up for me. Um, So here's the thing. I want to share a picture with you, and I'm going to share a little bit of my response to this when it popped up recently. But Pastor Mike and I were in Romania. This is actually, we are in a town called Freising in Germany. Um, 2018, Mike said, Scott, I want you to come to Romania with me. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay. So we got on a plane in Vancouver, BC. We stopped in Munich for like a six hour layover that ended up being nine hours. Mike is an adventurer, so he's like, there's no way we're staying in the airport for this long. That's ridiculous. So we put our bags in a safe place, as in, like, locked security, folks. And then we went to explore this town called Frising in a nearby community. And um, we took a tram there, and we had a great time just enjoying some food. We clearly got some ice cream. We went to a cathedral. It was really incredible. When I saw this picture... It brought joy to me because Mike and I got to know each other a lot better on this trip. It brought joy to me because of this experience that we had in Frising. Brought awe. Have you ever seen that picture and you're like, aw, that was fun. (laughs) Or, aw, they're so cute. I didn't say, aw, he's so cute, by the way. But um, anyway, but then there's another sense of awe. A deeper sense of awe. And I experienced that with this picture simply because what happened after we were in Frising, we got a connector to Sigishore, Romania, where we went and we visited a church called Bethany Baptist Church. And this church, we were exploring a potential, uh, an, an, 
a potential partnership with them. Bethany Baptist, three pastors there, Florine, Sabine, and Roland, and just amazing guys. And the awe, the deeper sense of awe came from seeing how God is using this church to reach the people in Romania and in the towns, the villages around the Roma people. And it was awe-inspiring. I love a good stroll down memory lane because it brings about awe, it brings about joy, and it just reminds us of what was, but sometimes what still is. Now, if you've been with us this summer in our series, we've been going through the book of Acts, which is an incredible book. All sorts of amazing things happen. Now, before we get into um, what we're talking about today, I want to take a stroll down memory lane to remind us of what has been with hopes that it brings about that sense of joy and awe in us today because what happens then isn't just relevant to them, it's relevant to us today. And my hope, again, you ever seen that play? If you're a sports fan or you love going to see plays, there's something happens and you can't control yourself and you come out of your seat. Anybody been there? Raise it up wherever you're at, right? You're just like, what? No, that just happened. There's a lot of those moments in Acts, people. If you read it as like, this is history, this happened. This is not a fantasy novel, but this is history. This is God's work, real work. If we don't come flying out of our chairs at some of this stuff, I'm wondering, are we really grasping what we're reading? Now, I'm sure you know this, but in uh, the time of Acts, when it's written, cameras were not yet invented. So we're going to take a stroll down memory lane through artists' renditions. Shout out for artists past and present. Um, and so we're going to do this fairly quick. If you're, if you're thinking, oh man, that was amazing and Scott didn't talk nearly enough about it, I don't have time. So read it for yourself again, because it's incredible. We're going to start Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit falls. He comes to indwell all who believe. That is, the God Almighty says, I want to be in you. I want to dwell with you. Wherever you go, I will go. The second thing in Acts chapter 2 that we see is Peter is preaching the good news to thousands of people. Thousands of people want to hear this message. And thousands of people are responding and saying yes to Jesus and being baptized. If you have ever been a part of someone coming to Christ, there's nothing like it. If you've ever been at a baptism or had the privilege of baptizing someone, it brings a sense of awe, not a sense of awe of who they are or who you are, but how good God is. And then in Acts chapter 3, we see that God restores a man's ability to walk. He had been paralyzed for 40 years, 40, 40 years through Peter. He's asking for gold or silver. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this dude doesn't just get up and walk. He starts break dancing right there. No, he doesn't break dance, but he dances and he dances his way into the temple. And I believe his friends are like, Andy? What? Like they had to double take because they're used to seeing Andy down here, but now Andy is up here and he is dancing something fierce. God's work. And then Acts chapter 4 and 5, Peter and John and other disciples are arrested because they're preaching the gospel. They say, I don't care what the cost is. I'm not going to stop telling people about Jesus. And one time they're released by the Sanhedrin. Another time an angel supernaturally leads them out of prison. Again, just like, wow. 
God. And then we turn to a more challenging situation, a sad, weighty situation in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is martyred. He talks about the Old Testament, how everything in the Old points to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And his audience does not like hearing that. And so they order that Stephen is killed by stones being thrown at him until he breathes his last. And Stephen prays this beautiful prayer, very similar to Jesus' last prayer on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I don't know about you, but that brings a sense of awe in me. That in that moment, this man is so filled with love that he is praying forgiveness over those who are literally in the act of killing him. But God uses this, this incredibly sad scene and situation to actually send the church out to actively share the gospel and more and more are reached because of it. And then Acts chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I just Googled this. This man from Ethiopia traveled... Um, about 2,550 miles to make it to a worship service. Now, you want to talk about commute, friends. <laughs> know what I'm saying? And it wasn't by car. Google told me it was going to take 88 hours. Not by horse and buggy. A little bit longer, like weeks. But he went, and he's leaving. He's on the way home. And, and God says to him, go to Philip, go up to this man. And so Philip is running next to this chariot and he sees that he's reading um, Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering servant that is yet to come, that is Jesus. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how could I? Well, let me tell you. He tells him all about Jesus. The man receives Christ as his Lord and Savior and says, can I be baptized right now? Is anybody else getting fired up in here? Know what I'm saying? Okay. And then we go to um, the famous road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. Saul persecuting the church is, is riding a donkey down this road. God shows up supernaturally, bright light, a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul comes to be one of the greatest evangelists as a result of God's supernatural intervention in his life. And then last week, Pastor Bob talk to us about Peter and Cornelius and how this amazing interaction, through this amazing interaction, God declares, I am for all people. I am for all people. This is shocking news in that day. Um, I titled this message, Awe-Filled Moments, because here's the truth. Whenever the church seeks to surrender to the leadership of Jesus, to live according to the way of Jesus, God will work in and through in a way that leads to awe-filled moments. If you've been a part of an awe-filled moment, it's the best. Their awe-filled moments doesn't begin to describe how great these moments are. And God says, when the church, when my followers follow me, when they live for me, I will work in and through them in a way that leads to awe-filled moments that reveal the goodness of God to everyone. Here's the best part. God, in the first part of Acts chapter 11, which is where we got to last week, God is not done then, and God is not done now. God was not done then, and he is not done now. He still wants to work through the church to bring about his kingdom of joy, his kingdom of hope, his kingdom of life, his kingdom of love to our dark world today. He wants to continue his good work. All right, 
That was great. Let's get into it. Acts chapter 11 and 12. I'm going to fly through some of this, some of this because we, there's just a lot to cover, but it's all good. We're going to explore three different ways that the church in Acts chapter, the second half of chapter 11 and 12, three different ways that the church shows up. The church surrenders itself to the leadership of God and how awe-filled moments are the result. Starting in verse 22 to 24, it says this. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then, when he arrived and, the witness, and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So here's the deal. In response to hearing what is happening in Antioch, the church sends Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to go and encourage the church. Novel idea since this is what this dude is all about. So he goes and he encourages the new and the young believers. He helps them continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and he is faithful and then something happens. He realizes he's not enough. He realizes he needs help. So he leaves and he goes to Tarsus and he finds Paul and he invites Paul to come and join him. And so together they tag team this church in Antioch and continue to preach the gospel and a, cons and a considerable number are added to them regularly. More and more men and women, girls and boys are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then in verse 26, it says, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now let me give us a little bit of context. Antioch is a large city, a large wealthy city. I mean wealthy to the point that their streets are paved with marble wealthy, okay? Like next level wealthy, like to flaunt it wealthy. But it's also known for its sinful indulgence. They just live however they want. They don't understand God. They don't surrender or submit to God. They, they live however they want. They, um, some would say that they are second in terms of being um, only, only to Corinth. They are second in the, the amount of spiritual darkness in their city, only to Corinth, which was known, had a bad reputation. Um, to, to help us with what this looks like, a friend of mine recently went to Las Vegas and when he came back, I asked him how his trip was. And one of the things that he described or how he described Las Vegas felt pretty spot on for what Antioch was like. He said this. He said, it is aesthetically incredible, but the roots are very dark. It is aesthetically incredible, but the roots are very dark. There are things happening in Antioch that humanity is not intended to participate in. And for this reason, I would say, I feel like it's just like God to lead Christ followers to be called Christians in Antioch. It's because it's so dark, it's in this dark place that God says, yep, this is where they're going to first be called Christians. Isaiah 9-2 says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is talking about Jesus, famous Christmas passage, right? You're like, don't talk to me about Christmas. I don't want those Christmas tunes to start rolling in my head yet. 
But what an incredible truth. This is what Jesus Christ is all about. That the light of the world would come into the darkness to dispel the darkness, to push out the darkness, to show that there's a different way of living. And Christian in Greek means Messiah people. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He is the one to come into the world, to be the light of the world to push back the darkness. And if we are to be Messiah people, if we are to be Christ followers, we are to shine our light, shine the light of Jesus, which is love, grace, and eternal hope. We are to shine the light of Jesus in a world that desperately needs the light of our Savior. And what's amazing, as I said already, the result of them living differently, the result of the first Christians living this way is that many were added to their number. So when the church, this is the first way we see God move to awe-filled moments, move through the church to create these awe-filled moments, is when the church shines the love, grace, and hope, eternal hope of Jesus Christ with our friends and our co-workers, and our neighbors who don't yet know him. So Paul and Barnabas are still in Antioch. Some, some prophets come to them. Prophets don't always bear the best of news. A prophet named Agabus, I'm just thinking if you, you're pregnant, your wife's pregnant, you're, Agabus could be a good option. Aggie, on a bad day, bus, I don't know. Um, but Agabus brings this message that he says there is going to be a famine across the entire Roman Empire. That is a lot of area, and it's supposed to be especially bad in Judea. So it's a prophecy. It's a foretelling. What are the believers? What are the Christians? What are the Messiah people's first response? It says this, verse 29, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the re relief of the brethren living in Judea. What does this mean? It means they heard that a famine was coming and they dug deep and they gave sacrificially to their brothers and sisters whom they didn't know. Now here's the kicker. They were actually giving money to those who had previously called them nobodies, nothing, insignificant, dogs. But they didn't let the past determine how they show up in the present to be the beautiful body of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Here's something else that blew me away. I didn't catch it at first until this last Wednesday. They respond to a prophecy, which means that this famine is not yet reality. The famine is not yet here, but they hear that it's coming and they respond by digging deep and giving sacrificially, giving up what they have, sacrificing what could be theirs in order to bless others in need or who would be in need. What a beautiful testament to denying yourself and taking up your cross to say, I will say no to what I want in order to provide for a need that is soon to be. For my brothers and sisters, many of whom I have not met in Judea. Absolutely incredible. So the second way that God moves through the church to create an off-filled moment is their generous and gracious response to their brothers and sisters' need. 
Now, Sarah was up here not long ago, and she said, I just love being a part of a generous church, and I'm just going to hop right on that train with her and say, it is amazing being a part of Cornwall Church, how generous and how faithful you are to the tithe and how generous you are above and beyond the tithe to give gifts is incredible. And it's been amazing to see that even in this last year that the generosity has not dipped. It has not stopped. You guys have continued to dig in and to give graciously, to give sacrificially. And that means that not one staff person was let go or cut because of, of financial cuts to our budget. It means that we were able to continue to work with our local and global partners and to support them in an incredibly difficult time. And here's the cool thing. That's only the gifts that you give to this church. And what I know is that many of you give outside the walls of this church to other ministries, to missionaries, to children through kids' sponsorships. I mean, absolutely incredible. When we are generous, when we sacrifice what could be ours in order to bless others, I truly believe that God is creating awe-filled moments. So, God works through the church when they, they willingly shine the light of Jesus. God works through the church when they are gracious and, and generous and, and creating these awe-filled moments that, again, remind people of his goodness. And the third thing that we're going to talk about, we're going to spend the most time on, but this is um, all of Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read a part. I'm going to summarize a part. But you guys, if you've not read Acts chapter 12, ooh, so good. So good. You can't read this and not come out of your seat and be like, what? No way! Okay. I get a little excited. Um, verse one says this. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands, not a good thing, on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. King Herod was appointed by the Roman government to rule over the Jewish people, and he was not a good man. Not a good man. He came from a, a long line of not good men, and he was not a good man, as we're about to read. Uh, verse 2 and 3. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, pause, He gets James. He has James killed. And the response of God's chosen people, they applaud murder. They would have known that the second commandment in the Ten Commandments, but the second in, 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 uh, in regards to how we treat one another, is thou shalt not kill. And yet they are applauding this evil man's act. So, as a result, he was emboldened to arrest, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the day of unleavened bread. Continuing verse four, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison. Okay, there's four squads to guard one man, four squads. Each squad has four people. Very simple math from elementary, four times four is 16 trained soldiers to guard one not trained soldier. Seems a bit excessive, right? But not long ago, Peter mysteriously, unexplicitly escapes prison and Herod doesn't want to look foolish. And so he assigns four squads to guard one man. 
to guard one man. Things are not looking good. It says that he's going to bring him out before the people. That's a formality to executing Peter. He basically wants Peter dead just like James. And so he, this is a formality. So this is not looking good for Peter. He's on death row. He's on death row. And yet, there's a beautiful phrase, but prayer. This is when, it's like, plot twist, like, whoop, didn't see this coming. But something different is going to happen than what you thought was going to happen. I got something else planned is what God's saying, but prayer. Let's read the rest of verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. But prayer was being made fervently by the church to God. But prayer. In prayer, we get to come before our amazing God and ask him to do what we can't on our own. And here's the coolest thing. You may be thinking, this is an outlandish prayer, like so big, not big enough. When we pray, we are wise. When we pray for huge things, we are wise. Why? Because we are talking to the one, the almighty, the sovereign, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God who can do anything. So we are wise because we are inviting him to do what only he can. But prayer for him was being made passively, lazily, indifferently. No, no, no. Fervently. Fervently. Doesn't that just sound like mm, fervently? Eagerly, intentionally, without stopping, with an understanding of what's on the line fervently. Isn't it inspiring when you learn that this church, it's believed that this church prayed for two days to the better part of a week? They prayed fervently for that much time for Peter. Now, but prayer is when this whole story changes direction, and it is awesome. Let's check this out. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, I'm going to pause. Have you ever prayed a prayer for quite a while, and you're looking for God's direction? Is this the right person? God, how are you going to show up in the midst of this sickness, in the midst of this diagnosis, in the midst of this upcoming surgery, or in the midst of like, oh man, it's my freshman year of high school coming up, and I am already nervous, or am I going to get into this school, this college? Am I going to get that job? Whatever the situation, have you ever prayed a prayer? that you've been praying for a while and yet God has not yet shown you what you want. Anybody been there? Raise it up wherever you're at. Yeah. You are in good company. And you're like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but you are in good company. Here's the thing. When we pray and we are forced to wait for God, he grows us in our dependence on him. And what's interesting is I think that that's even more valuable than whatever the outcome may be. But here's something that we have to know. God is with us in the waiting. God is with us in the waiting. God was with Peter in the waiting. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, doesn't sound comfortable, bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over him. He's in a cell, he's sleeping, he's chained. Two soldiers on either side of him sleeping, more outside the cell, making sure he doesn't escape, not looking good. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly, what's with angels? They always got to make a grand entrance, right? Suddenly just bam, they're there. 
So suddenly, this angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. An angel is a supernatural being, a spiritual being who exists to serve God and support mankind. He shows up in this cell and it says that there was a light that shone in the, sh- in the cell. Now, I don't think that this is like a night light. You know, in the hall or your kid's room or maybe in your bedroom. It's not a nightlight situation. It's more like a LED bam in your face spotlight. Like, I'm imagining it's so bright. But Peter, he's a heavy sleeper. He is a heavy sleeper. How do we know that he's a heavy sleeper? And I'm just making things up. And behold, the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up. He had to physically hit him to wake him up. And some of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm, I know that all too well. My spouse sleeps so heavy, you know? So he struck him to wake him up. He struck his side, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourselves and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed, when they had passed the first and second guard, that's four and then eight people, eight soldiers, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. That's never happened to me. Unless somebody hits the little button that opens the door for you. It's not like approaching and... Right? So I'm with Peter. I'd be thinking I'm dreaming too. I'd be like, wow, this is awesome. I'm walking past these guards who are supposed to not let me escape. And them too. And oh, look, the door even opened. This is... Is this real? He's not sure that this is real, but he's loving it. Um, And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Awe-filled moment, right? Right? An awe-filled moment. Why? Because the church prayed, but prayer was being offered on behalf of Peter to God. Prayer led to this awe-filled moment. Now, let me summarize the way the rest of this goes. It's absolutely fabulous. You should read it for yourself. So, Peter is on the street. The angel disappears, and now Peter has to decide, what do I do? Where do I go? He goes to Mary's house, which is where the church is gathering, the church that's fervently praying for him. So he goes, and there's a gate, and he knocks on the gate. Some of you know how this goes, but maybe you've missed the humor in the situation. He's knocking on the gate. Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the gate, and she's like, it's Peter! And she is amazed and shocked. She knows the church has been praying for him, and our prayers have been answered. She forgets to open the door. Peter is a fugitive. He's stuck outside in the street and he's thinking I don't want to go back to prison I was just miraculously rescued I don't want to go back so please open the door but Rhoda is pumped so she runs back to the people and she's like you guys you guys you guys have you ever interrupted prayer <laughs> feels awkward right you're like uh, so I'm really sorry um, something really important is happening <laughs> I don't know that Rhoda had those um, sensibilities in this moment she's like Peter's here This is the church that's praying big prayers, believing that God is capable of all things. 
Want to know what their response is? And I quote, out of the word of God, you're out of your mind. <laughs> what? They're praying to this God that they're like, he can do all things. And they're like, you're crazy. He's not there. And she's like, no, 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 no. He's there. And she's like, it's his angel. And she's like, no, no, no. It's really him. I heard his voice, which also says that she knew Peter. Peter was a part of this community. Peter was a part of this church. She knew him just by his voice. Eventually, the church goes, sees Peter, and hears this incredible story of how God moved to rescue him from prison. Ah, filled moment. How cool would it have been to be a part of that praying church to show up in that moment and to see the man who you've been praying for to be miraculously rescued and then he's standing right in front of you. Amazing. Amazing. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Prayer is identified as the difference maker. Prayer is identified as the difference maker. God, through the church's prayer, brought about an awe-filled moment. Again and again, throughout Scripture, we see that God invites us to pray, to pray big, to pray fervently. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, devote, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Is there a reoccurring word in this short two-sentence verse? I heard somebody in the back, all, all. Let me read this again. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints i think sometimes we can respond to the invitation to the call to the command as followers of jesus as messiah people we can respond to this invitation to pray to pray fervently Indifferently, We can respond to it apathetically. We can respond to it in a way that, that reflects our lack of understanding of what an incredible honor it is that we somehow are invited to participate in what God is doing and what God wants to do in our world, that he wants to bring his kingdom to this earth. Now, I say that not to shame or to guilt you, but hopefully that God would say whatever he wants to you in that. Is it conviction? For me, it's conviction. I'm going to be real with you. There's too many times where I lack fervency in my prayer. It's like, all right, well, whatever. Whatever you want, God, go for it. And of course, yielding to God's way is most important. Praying his kingdom come is most important. Trying to the best of our ability to pray according to his will as we know is wise. That's what we're called to in scripture. But maybe you can identify with my lack in this way. Maybe prayer has become a little bit of a eh lately. Maybe God this morning wants to say it's time to reinvest. Prayer is powerful. It, pray, it plays a role in God moving in such a way that leads to awe-filled moments.
that leads to awe-filled moments. Now, I want to quickly just go through Acts chapter 12, the, the highlights in terms of what can we learn about prayer through what we read. And the first thing is, is this. It's very simple. Pray to God. You may be like, wow, Scott. <laughs> really plumbing the depths on that one. It's in Scripture. It's the end of verse 5, that they are praying on behalf of Peter to God. For me, this serves as a reminder of who I'm praying to. Sometimes I think I pray to a little G God, forgetting that God is the creator of all things with his words, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, that he is the alpha and omega, and he can make anything come to be. May we remember who we are praying to and that there is no end. He doesn't know anything about limitation. So may we pray big prayers. The second is that we would pray in private and in community. We would pray in private and in community. Private stems from um, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, um, but in community is definitely exemplified in this passage that they gathered together and prayed. Now, I know some of us, that is incredibly uncomfortable, the thought of speaking aloud, praying aloud in a group. And my invitation to you is very simple. Start simple. Say a few Words. You don't have to pray long, lengthy things. They don't have to sound good or persuasive or eloquent. Just pray simple. But pray in, in private and in community. Then pray fervently with a sense of an understanding of what's on the line, what's at risk, that this is truly important and genuinely that his kingdom would come to this earth as it is in heaven. That we would pray fervently but that we would pray genuinely. Um, I don't know if you've been in a place where it's been a really hard season, and in that time, it can be really difficult to know how to pray. Not always, but sometimes you're, you're kind of thinking, like, what, what do I even say? I don't even know. Um, the last four months for me have been pretty tough. Um, there's been moments where I've been totally overwhelmed. There's been a lot of transition, and some of that's been really good, but still overwhelming. And sometimes there's just been really hard, painful things happening. And sometimes when I would sit with God in the morning, I didn't have words. And I felt God just say, didn't hear him, but I felt him say, pray simply, pray short, and just be real with me. And I found freedom to simply say, God, help. Help my friends. God, would you heal these people who I care about? God, would you show up and provide for these folks? And God, would you meet me? Would you give me the courage that I need? And previously, I would have felt inadequate because as you can tell, I'm not a man of few words most of the time. And yet God gave me great permission to say, it's not your eloquence, it's not the length of your prayer that matters, it's that you are real. So pray to God, pray, pray in private, pray in community, pray fervently and genuinely, and the last is very simple. Keep praying. Keep praying. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, great one to memorize, pray continuously, or pray without ceasing. God says, just talk to me throughout the day. Keep praying. Pray on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray on behalf of your church. Pray, pray, pray. 
God wants to bring his kingdom to this earth in beautiful and powerful ways. He wants to create these awe-filled moments that help people, help everyone see how good he is, that he is still alive and active in our world today. In specific to prayer, I want to invite you to participate in a, a challenge. It's an invitation that we would together pray fervently. The church in Acts 12 gathered physically together. We are not going to have a physical gathering this week, but that we would pray together. We would be united in our focus in prayer. And so this is my encouragement that together we would pray according to this list. Now, if you want, you can take a picture of one of these screens. At the same time, we're going to post this to our social media um, tomorrow. And I'm going to include a little bit more information around our local ministry partners as well as our global ministry partners, the who. But prayer is powerful. And I believe that if we pray together, that there may very well be some awe-filled moments that would result because God would move in and through the church as we pray together. Let me close uh, with this. May we be a church that continually serves or continually strives to submit to the way of Jesus as commanded in Scripture so that he can work through us in a way that leads to awe-filled moments that more and more in the community in which we love or, and live, that we would see more and more of God and people would see more and more of how good he is. May we shine the light of Jesus, his love, his grace, and his hope, to those walking in darkness. May we give generously and sacrificially to those in need and may we pray fervently. I believe that God is alive and active today. Anyone else believe that? May we, the church, surrender and submit to his leadership so that he can continue to work through us in amazing ways so that more and more would come to know him.